Welcome to Canada's podcast. So Brad, Kristen, welcome to uh, this introductory call. I'll give you a little bit of context on how we arrived here. Um, I am an entrepreneur myself and the time pre-COVID that I actually, that I had a co-working space and one of my colleagues really, uh, was working out of Vancouver and had a, had a podcast back when podcasts were quite so prolific. He's about 10 years ago and it was kind of new and, uh, he grew the Vancouver podcast to quite a large audience. And then he had this vision of taking it national. So, and then they reached out to, uh, you know, some people that they knew in each province. And we now are a team of uh, nine podcasters, I think, that are really trying to share the story of what Canadian entrepreneurs are doing across the country with a much broader audience. A, it's for you. Uh, We've taken all the risk and the, you know, and, and so at this point, this is a organic kind of free podcast for you guys to share the story. Obviously, our business model is that we engage sponsors, we engage advertisers like any other sort of traditional media. Um, but we also are really our, our foremost purpose is to share the stories of, of entrepreneurs that are doing uh, pretty inspiring things across Canada. So that's how we got here. At the moment, most of the work that I do is in that volunteer capacity because it's fun and I get to meet amazing people. Um, My other hat is that I am a business consultant, so I work in innovation and trying to help amazing projects scale. So I reached out to Freight Farms just to find out because I love what they're doing, right? I love, I'm a farm girl from Southern Alberta who, you know, we have to leave the farm because it's not sustainable. Introducing freight farms going, okay, there's, there's got to be a better way to use square footage of land to, you know, to produce food. And that's why I was sort of attracted to freight farms thinking maybe this can actually, you know, this tool, this technology and this, you know, the training and the support and everything that they do can actually help more local economies become more food sovereign, if you like, or you know, produce more food locally. And so I contacted them really from a, what do you guys need to expand and do more? And they said, well, really, we need to share the stories of some of our local farmers and uh, that are doing amazing things and that will help them, you know, create impact. And, uh, and they, and I said, well, I've got this podcast with Canada's podcast. Do you have any Canadian farmers that have a great story? Boom. And Kristen came to light and I said, oh my God, yes, let's, let's capture their story. And, and from a, you know, we are a podcast that talks about entrepreneurs with purpose, but also creating social environmental, you know, local impact when it comes from a super emotional, personal state, of course, that's going to have greater impact. So Really talking about the personal purpose as well as the business of four acres. So that's, we're sort of talking about two different things today. So I want to just introduce you to this as a platform to share your story, hopefully grow your business and 
you know, maybe duplicate, be able to scale what you're doing for other people who, um, you know, have a similar purpose as you guys. So that's my background. I'm going to totally turn the mic over and just say, where do you want to start? Let's talk about um, maybe your journey before starting Four Acres and why Four Acres as a as a business, how it came to be. Wow, where do you want to start? Um, I had never heard of freight farms or or anything like that before um, three years ago. Um, yeah, it totally came to be because our son got sick with uh, E. coli and he died. So, so we started looking into other options. Um, yeah, where do you, where do you want me to start? That was three years <laughs> ago? Long, I, yeah, um, yeah, three and a half years ago. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that was, a, that was a tipping point for us in a lot of ways in our life. And, uh, and what were you doing before that? Brad, Kristen. Uh, we've we've had a farm for about 10 years now. Okay. Just did vegetable gardening, kind of small scale, sold at the vegetable at the farmers markets. Um, and just kind of growing our own food and for a few family and friends. Not really big scale, but um yeah, construction work, just kind of normal life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And in your small scale farm um, prior to three years ago, what what did you what technologies or what um, what considerations do you, did you use in your you know growing that has sort of shifted to three years ago to leveraging things like you know, the freight farms infrastructure and being perhaps more mindful. What are the, what are the, what are the pivots that you made in going from a small scale farm prior to three years ago to today? What are the major pivots for you? Uh, we've always been um, supportive of like the organic idea. So we never sprayed anything on our, on our gardens. Bugs and pull weeds by hand and, um, but just outdoor, really simple gardening, um, great farms obviously is, is high tech indoor, um, yeah, higher, different technologies. So it's, so it's year round. The whole point was year round because we can't grow that stuff here. One of the main points, I guess, is, is that we can grow it in the winter time. Right. Local. And how... Did you find freight farms and why was it so important? Uh, we just, just searched it online just to see what was out there. We, we figured hydroponics indoors is mm -hmm. probably the only way that we can grow here in the wintertime. Um, so we just looked up a few different companies and that's the one that, that we ended up choosing to work with. Is there any particular reason why them versus the competition? Uh, it just seemed like they were the most, I guess, advanced that out of the few that we looked at. 
Okay. Uh, yeah, really good support team. Good to talk to and help us learn because we had no idea what we we're doing when we started it. Never done anything like that before. So, so really helpful getting us started. That was important. And here you are, uh, you know, a traditional agricultural boutique farmer now investing in this advanced technology to produce year round. I mean, what was your capital investment? Uh, about 150,000 to buy the shipping container with everything in it, um, set up, ready to go. So with capital investment like that, obviously you have a business plan, right? And, and it has to be a business in order to be able to finance. I'm assuming you financed it. Maybe that assumption. Did you purchase that right? We didn't, uh, we didn't have much of a business plan. We just went in, you know, it was, it was, it was less than a year after our son died and uh, thinking about money and business wasn't, I'm only now able to really focus on that and, and figure it out. So it was more just dive in and have faith that it's going to work out. So um, yeah, we just, yeah, I want to take you back to what we did before. So we <clears throat> had, um, we used to build homes and renovate homes and sell them. Um, so we had a commercial and residential property that we had just sold a year prior to our son passing away. So that was like our nest egg. And we used a lot of that. Well, all of it plus remortgaged our house to buy the farm. So we had um, some savings aside to help us get started with this. And you are, you are all in at this point. We're all in. Yeah, there's yeah. probably yeah. better ways to go about it with yeah. business loans. And I'm just starting to learn about that now. So you don't have to, you know, put all of our personal money into it. And Absolutely. Voting, so, but, Absolutely. Yeah. And let's talk about a little bit about day to day. What does your day to day look like um, with this well, we have boutique farmer? Here at home, we have three kids, a year and a half, three and a half, and seven. So um, our day can be pretty hectic. <laughs> um, yeah, coordinating with the kids. And it's nice that we work from home because a lot of times I can break from the farm and come back in and help Brad or do what we need to do. Um, yeah, we employ two, uh, we have two employees that help us out at the farm as well. And they're both local and they're very close. And then I had a quick look at your website as far as your products, right? We've got kale, we've got mixed greens, things like that. Um, and who, who buys your product? We've been selling Farmgate. Um, just to, friends and neighbors started it that way. Um, just recently, we're getting into stores now. So we're in a grocery store in Campbellford, a nearby town. And... Uh, Two more that we've just gotten into in the last month or so. So just just starting that part of it, um, and it's going well. They're selling out pretty well and kind of demanding more. So so just kind of yeah, crossing that threshold. And so now. local retail stores, yeah, Farmgate are your two main sort of. We do a we started out with like a co-op that's um, uh, bi-weekly, so. Um, it essentially, she connects all local farmers 
So we um, supply her uh, with our produce and people shop on her website for it. Okay. And she distributes like I'm. I'm going to make the assumption it would be something like a veggie box or something like that, where there's multiple growers in, you know, one product and purchasers that can buy multiple products. Cool. Awesome. And is are you at a state? And this is a personal question. So are you at a state now in the business where you can self-support? Almost. Almost. Okay. Almost sustainable or viable, but yeah. With yeah. just one freight farm? Yeah. What do you mean by self-support? I guess that's the question. What's that, Brad? Sorry. What does self-support mean? Self-support, I guess, means um, in my sort of definition is, are you able to stay and sustain a family yeah. through this local business um, of your freight farm? No. No. <laughs> Okay. No, no, not. We're just we're just looking to break even on it right now. Okay. Um, it's and it's just it's just been such a learning curve for us. Like it, absolutely, it can work and the numbers can work, but we still have work to do to get there. And what is that work? What do you know you need to do next? If you well, and I guess let me back to talk about break even is your goal now. You're pretty close to that. Yeah. Perfect. What's the sort of forecast? And I'm only just going to project near in, like maybe two years. Is is it a goal to get this to the point where this is your primary source of income for your family? Uh, not really. Like it's it's really about just doing the right thing and and creating the local food and and giving people the choice. Like I really don't care too much about the money have to because if i don't then we don't have it's a business sustainable right exactly. yeah so that's that's all it is for me um so yeah if we can if we can make a business and and turn a profit then 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 we can expand and uh well then and let me let let me share my kind of two cents on that um idea about I know there's a bit of a steerway from profit and business, et cetera. But at the end of the day, we, we want you to be profitable in, in business because A, we need the food. And if you're not producing it, then the food's not available, which is really the number one priority is to make you know safe, organic, good food available to families. And two is, you know, we'd like you to continue to keep we being the proverbial we would like to you to keep going with this because if you can if you can make it purpose driven and i realize the money is is not it but you still your family has to eat right they still need to um you know go to school and pay rents and all of that lovely yeah. stuff in our systems that that we need to so we want you to be viable even if viable really is yeah. resilient is really more the maybe position that I'd love to see for you versus, you know, the it's it's not so much the money profit mentality. It's the can we do this again and again, right? Like can we do this for the bills? Can we do this in in other places? And it's really getting that insight on what it takes. So you're three years in 
to a startup phase where you're break even. I actually think that's pretty amazing because of the learning curve yeah. that it takes, right? As far as what works, who's going to buy, who's interested, who cares about the quality of the product. Um, it, practicing with your products and your yield, I would assume, has been quite yeah. a journey. Big, yeah, that's a big part. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? How have you landed on the products that you've got? And, and you know, you've got two employees already. Right. So, and what are they helping? Are they helping with yield and or what are they doing on the ground? So they mainly help with the harvest, which consumes the majority of the time in the farm. Is okay. Um, and they help with some cleaning because that's also, you need to keep the farm clean. But the majority of our time is spent harvesting product. And then how do you get it? I mean, obviously farm gate is they're at your place. So that's reasonably easy. How do you get it to stores? So we deliver it. Yeah. Okay. That's once a week or um, bi-weekly we make a delivery and the majority of our stops are no further than an hour from us. So we also do like pickup points. So uh, the furthest city would be Peterborough an hour away. So we would deliver there, but we also have a pickup point um, at Brad's parents' house. And then there's customers that buy in Peterborough that would come to their house and also pick up. So, which is farm, essentially like farm gate, right? Yes. And I mean, even that farm gate, what, what has been your biggest barriers to, I guess, getting the, you know, the small business of, of organic vegetable growing to more people just learning how to do it just just getting it all set up once it's once it's running people love it it's there's really no competition the the quality is amazing compared to the the typical stuff that you get at the store yeah the and shelf life not is, to mention all the yeah, other the shelf life is incredible as well yeah. So people are very, we've never had a bad comment. We always have very positive feedback from our products and everyone's blown away by how long it keeps because the majority of the stuff you are, you buy when you purchase it, you're already picking through it because it's been in a truck, right? It's probably two weeks old by the time it's hitting your shelf. Yes. So ours would be 24, 48 hours max by the time it's hitting the shelf and you're buying it. So yeah, the, I would I would agree with Brad that the majority is learning um, how to grow the products and how to troubleshoot if you're seeing something in the farm, how to solve that with your crops. Uh, we've done some experimenting also what people like. So really zoning in on what is our top sellers and um, working with that, which is our spring mixes. Now, when you say experimenting, Kristen, how did you experiment? Uh, just try lots of varieties of plants. Okay. Yeah, just lots of different varieties. Like and then you, know. you might try multiple different kinds before you find one that you're happy with that works um, and that produces what you what you want as an end result. So you've got kind of the, the experimenting for two things, sort of the desirability from your customers mm-hmm. and then viability from a 
can we grow it? Can we produce enough? Is it good? You know, is it a good uh, production variety? So I would imagine that those two experiences really have to merge and converge. Yes. Yes. They and, do. and you found the spring mixes are the most popular? Yes. Yeah. I also found through experimenting that I can leave them uh, growing in my farm longer. So I've reduced my labor on uh, seeding and transplanting. So I'm able to use those plants longer because I handpick every leaf and make them. Wow. Yeah. A lot of love. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Well, that's a, so just going back to that, that's the logistics. So I'm imagining in, uh, as I look at some of the images of the freight farm, so you don't actually just um, take the whole lettuce, for instance, or the spring mixture out of the pod. You're actually harvesting the leaves and keeping that for regrowth. Yes. So originally, um, in the beginning, I was harvesting the whole head. And then I realized uh, through trial and er error that this is not viable, that if I can leave this in and pick the leaves and it will keep growing for multiple harvests. Interesting. All that time in. Okay. Works for the farm. That's yeah. Yeah. So it makes it a more viable crop for us. So in that, then you're bagging the leaves then and shipping them? Yeah, so we have big totes and we use multiple different leaves in our spring mix. So it's really yeah. a work of art and we bag it and tag it and it goes out. We weigh it. Yeah. I just, I'm only sharing because my mom was a spin farmer. So the, which was a small plot intensive farmer. And she had about four uh, spin farms around an urban containment area. And she she ran this farm with the, with the household deliveries and the bagging and going to market, right? It, it, she did the same. So she had a delivery service and then she went to markets. I've never seen anybody work so hard in my whole entire life. <laughs> As far as up hours, bagging, you know, and she had quite a variety of, of seed. But honestly, I swear to God, it was like a, you know, retirement passion project for her. And I just, she was working easily 12 hours a day on this farm because it's so seasonal. And uh, so I feel, <laughs> I can imagine what is going on in your house right now. But hopefully you've got your seven-year-old child labor involved <laughs> in this so far, I can imagine. As yeah. much as we can, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I, I would like to go back a little bit to the personal sensitive topic about safety with food. Um, I can't imagine um, losing a child. So that's, um, I'm just saying, I feel it. I've got a 12-year-old and a 15-year-old myself. Um, I would love, and what's his name? Our son was named Cooper. Cooper. So it's difficult to talk about the loss and I don't want your loss to be undermined at all. Um, again, you know, three years after Cooper's left us and here we are telling this story and I give you a lot of credit for being able to share this story. E. coli and other sort of foodborne viruses and diseases are not something to be taken lightly. Um, what has been your experience in 
finding out about E. coli in particular or anything else? And, you know, why is this such an important topic to be raised for families? I think before we were affected with this, I never thought about it at all. It never crossed my mind. If I saw something on television, I would read it and think nothing else of it after because I feel that there's not enough emphasis put on the fact of how dangerous foodborne illness is. It is not just a stomach bug, um, especially in kids under five. Um, it affects them more. And we also don't talk about the fact that it's on the rise and why is it in our food and where is it coming from? No one talks about that. We need to start talking about that, how our food is being produced and why it is even there. And I think the more it happens, we're almost being desensitized to it. Mm. That it's the norm, right? Well, okay, the odd time our, our lettuce or our salad bags are being recalled. Okay, just another recall, but it should not be like that. And now leafy greens have more recalls and have a higher chance of having coli in them than ground beef. So we need to start asking why is that happening? And, and changing something about it. It's and have you discovered any of those whys yourself? Uh, the food production for feedlots. So in close proximity to these farms of where they're growing and irrigating the crops seems to be the number one cause of how it's leaching into our food. Um, There's 100,000 cows in a feedlot. And then across the street, they're growing leafy greens. Right. That's how it is. It's happening all the time. So the one that in, two, in uh, 2018, October, you probably heard about it on the news. It was international news, Canada, U.S. Mm -hmm. recall of all Romania. So that was a really, really big recall. But there's smaller recalls that you would never hear about happening all the time. Uh, well, and one question I have is how do you hear about these recalls? I mean, uh, we rely on our distribution centers, like our stores, to... Yeah, uh, there's um, Stop Foodborne Illness website. Um, they have a they have a um, a thing that you sign up to, and then it'll it'll send you emails when there's a recall that's in your area. So we've signed up to that, and then you can see all these other ones. But if if I didn't, if I wasn't on that, I would never hear about them. They're not on the news. They're not on. They're not. You only hear about a few of them. There's a mushroom recall this week. Did you hear about that one? Pretty big one. It's in, I think it's all across Canada. Salmonella, I think, and mushrooms. Yeah, it's, it's, it's everywhere. It's, it's a lot more than I'd ever thought. And it's, and it's really underreported too. The ones that, that we're learning about, it's, uh, it's way worse than, than what you can even read about and find out about. Kristen, you were going to add something? Well, I just, um, you're saying how we find out about it. I don't, we do rely on our grocery stores to protect us, right? If the food is unsafe, we rely on them to take the food off. But if it's just an advisory, 
that's up to the grocery store. They do not have to take that off the shelf. So sometimes there will be an advisory. So it's up to you that they advise you not to eat that particular food because there, it may be contaminated. But unless it is recalled, then restaurants and uh, grocery stores do not have to take that off the shelf and can sell it to you. And I'm going to go back to your comment about the statistics. Um, you know, we, we see something in the news or we hear a story about a recall in another province or in another area. And I, I, I agree with you. I think we tend to dismiss and or say, oh, well, either it's not that serious or somebody will look after us. Yeah. But it, right. I, I, I think there's this, the grocery stores will look after us. They'll take it off their shelves. If they, if yeah. they deem it important, uh, the doctors will look after us. If we get sick, um, the food inspection agencies, the food inspection agency, the government agencies that are maybe testing to see yeah. the foods. I mean, there's an awful lot of, of, uh, I'll call it, um, outsourcing yeah. of personal safety for food, which is the fuel that keeps us healthy and, and keeps us energized and lets us live every day. Uh, and so, you know, I'm, I'm taking a little bit of caution as well, just from, from your story, which is how much personal responsibility should we be trying to get back on you know, food, which is our food and water being our, you know, maybe housing, those three things are really the pillars to our health and well-being. What, what are your thoughts on that? 100%. Mm -hmm. How can you outsource anything like that? It's not working. That's, that's how the system's set up, but it doesn't work. They're doing the best they can with what they have, I think. I've talked to some people in the uh, Canadian Food Inspection Agency about specifically about the recalls with lettuce and, and how they're handling it. And the people that I talk to are doing the best they can, I feel, with, uh, with what they have. But it's just the way they're growing it is just so horrible. It's just impossible to fix. And it's going to keep happening. Right. Do we leave it as impossible to fix or do we um, start changing things at a personal level. And this is why I think your story is just so, so important to share that it is doable. Yes. And that's the only way I've tried to, you know, work with the government or fight them or, you know, the industry, whatever, but it's, it's, it's hopeless. The only way is if we do it, that's the only way completely replace that with something that does work. And so if you could, so two things for you and your story and your longevity of, of this business is if you could wave a magic wand and say, these three things would help us get to viable, sustainable um, enough for, for both your family, but also for your community, be able to supply food to your community. What are the one, two, or three things that you would love to go, boom, here's what I'd love to happen. I would like to see government funding more of this and helping farmers out 
they help out with other things, but <laughs> why not hydroponic farming, something that um, gives more, it's, it's, it's more local, right? So it's more of, we're controlling our food source. We're not relying on these other countries to do it for us without any, what I see, much regulation. They say there's regulations, but I don't, you know, this is what we could do to sustain farmers here in Canada. So it would, because it's so expensive to get started, I feel that that's why we don't maybe see as many farmers getting into it here. And in Canada, there is more, I think, overhead costs, um, you know, in the winter for electricity and stuff um, that maybe in, if it was growing maybe in the United States, they wouldn't have those same overhead costs, but it is doable. They have them in Alaska. Okay. Yeah. Uh, second on your wish list. Hmm. I don't really care about the government too much, so I wouldn't ask for them to get involved and, <laughs> and do it. They, they, they're run by other things, the, the companies that, the multi-billion dollar companies that are producing our food today. Kind of, uh, I feel like they have a lot of control in the food inspection and the safety and the regulations and how it gets reported and what we know about it unless you really dig into it. So I think it has to be more organic, just uh, real people, entrepreneurs doing it. And uh, yeah, maybe talking to you and, and helping us make a viable business. And then if it's viable, other people can do it. Absolutely. Um, so talking to business coaches, getting this viable faster might be a second wish list so that more people are doing it. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Number three on the wish list. Yeah, time to think about this. Good yeah. question. <laughs> I don't have a magic wand, so. <laughs> um, oh, there you go. We come back to it. Of course we can. Wish list if I had a magic wand, sorry. Magic right. wand fairy, because it's amazing what can happen. Yeah. So, um should ask my seven-year-old no. son. You gotta put it out there, you gotta say it. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, no, that's good. You're okay, right. so we'll come back to wish list number three. Okay. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the um the Let's assume that the solution is to, uh, I'll use language like there's core business and then there's edge business. And I see what you're doing as an edge business. Um, it's, it's innovative, it's boutique, it's hyper-local. Uh, it's all about you know, the healthiest, most sustainable uh, food options. And if you, were to, if you could scale your operation, it might mean you can feed more people from a local perspective. And I think, Kristen, you said instead of relying on imports and mass production farmers, we can actually, you know, start a movement of uh, viable organic farmers that, um, you know, that this is one solution. Let's start with leafy greens because it's a very vulnerable product for, you know, disease and and you know whether it's e coli or salmonella 
that, and, and yet it's one of the most healthy foods for us. So if you start with your product mix and say, let's grow this movement of boutique organic farmers. How can we do it at scale? I mean, taking your learning, it's not easier at the three month mark. You've really done a lot of experimentation. Can we take what you've learned and share it to say, listen, this is what you need to start with here in Canada. Here's what the, here's what the consumers are asking for. I mean, is that a, uh, something that you can share? Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, we can save people two years worth of experimenting. We're, we're Wouldn't close, that be fabulous? We're close to that point where we can write it down and send you, here's what to grow, how to grow it. And uh, within five weeks of getting a container shipped to your property, you could be harvesting. That and, and is amazing. Yeah. yeah. That would be an amazing thing. I know you say that loosely, but there to me, it is. Yeah. List number three for me is the is that guide, right? That how to fast yeah, your yeah. your freight farm experience to yeah, you know, to to learn from the other farms. I'm sure you're not the only ones, right? Like no. I'm sure there's other freight farmers that could build, collaborate on a on a booklet or a publication like that. Yeah. Meaning that it it takes away some of the risk, and we might actually get some funders that could, that are willing to invest in those, you know, and, and I mean, freight farms is how we came together, but you have other suppliers. You've got your seed suppliers, you've got your pod suppliers. I mean, you've obviously given your, your passion and your stories, you've thought a lot and researched a lot, even about finding the best suppliers. Can you talk a little bit about your seed and pod suppliers or anybody else that's in your Essential partner mix. Seeds we get from Vessies yeah. and Johnny's. Two seed companies. Yeah. yeah. I don't think we researched it too much. We'd bought off them before to just for our gardening. And feed uh, plugs. Where do you get them from? Uh, Zip Grow here. I think they're located out of Cornwall. So they, they were one of the first companies actually that we looked into because they sell vertical towers. Um, but they would, you would have to create your own building to put them in. So the cost was higher where freight farms come. Say that again, Christopher. What, what was that? Zipro. So they're the first company that we looked into and they create, they sell you the towers to grow in, but you would have to provide the building. So right. when we did the cost, it was twice as much as what uh, freight farms offered us with the prefab. Uh, building right. so, um, but they sell the peat plugs, so that's who we we get our peat plugs through them. Okay, interesting. And I mean, even just that knowledge, right? Is here's some here's some suppliers, but we went with freight farms, and here's some seed vendors, and this is why we went with those guys. And here's their let's get three years of experimentation down into three months, mm-hmm. and get your your organic farm launched faster. The guidebook. The webinar, the training seminar, the the half day event would, um, I think, be pretty amazing to put on, and and um, that would be really neat. I would love to see that happening, and maybe you're you're the impetus and and Kickstarter to something like that. I'm gonna that. So those are some of my wish lists. 
items. I'm going to go back. Have you thought yet of a third wish list? Um, yeah, like a, a new economic model for for food. Um, the way that it works now, it's profit comes first and at all costs. That's it. Let's make money. Let's get really big. Let's control it all. It doesn't work. That's that's inequality and it's destructive. It's killing people. So I think everybody should be involved in it. If we if we have sustainable food, um, instead of it for us, if, instead of us personally getting rich by selling food, if we were to expand this, take that and reinvest it back into more sustainable food. And only that. We just need enough to live and that's it. I don't want any more than that. Yes. And if you keep rolling it into it, then could you have a snowball with the money effect of it too, expanding? That makes sense? It makes perfect sense. And I love the fact that you went about as big picture as it can get. <laughs> yeah. A new that's economic right. model for food. Okay. Boom. We can, we can work on that. I love it. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and... But it does, Brad, it does start one shipping container boutique right. at a time, right? It yeah. really does. Yeah. And this is part of why I wanted to share your story uh, is because I believe that one small step towards the right thing to do. Uh, and I'd love to try and rally some additional supporters. And, you know, there's lots of people who have a similar mindset to you, which is um, it's really about the health and well-being of, of people first, and food is the primary tool to do that. Let's make sure it's not poisoning our people, right? Make sure that it's not, um, it, it's not a capitalist project alone. We need to shift, uh, and I love your wording, shift the economic model for food. Yeah. And if this story can help stimulate, that's great. What would you love to see as an action follow-up post-podcast? What, what do you think is the very next step that we could take to maybe get some of those magic wand wish lists into action? I don't know. Yeah, good questions. Um, wait and see what happens. Let's just let it be organic. Who's interested in, in what we're doing and how can you help? How can how can we help you with what you're doing? Yeah, work, together. work together. Where's the rest of the superheroes who are going to change the world? So I would like your permission. I love that. <laughs> Find the superheroes that are going to change the uh, food. There are many that yeah. we've interviewed um, both on Canada's podcast, but also what's called the Next Gen Economy podcast. And both one Canada's podcast is really quite a, a Canadian um, audience. Of course, we have because it's digital, we have global audience as well. But the next gen economy podcast is really exactly like you said. It's about the next generation of thinkers and change agents who are doing the right thing, and we're sharing their story in this podcast. And there is a global. Our community member is 17,000 change agents, coaches, consultants around the world that are trying to reinvent new business models. So I would really like permission to share your story with both of those audiences. Yeah. Okay. Yay. 
let me ask what is the if we're if we're going with the organic flow there's a couple of ways that i mean they can reach out to me but also can we connect with you um post podcast what's the best way uh we can do this again just phone email okay and what is your uh the best email to connect with you uh four acres hydroponics at gmail or show up at your farm gate and buy some produce and have a conversation yep. <laughs> what's your just curious where do you live guys what's your what's uh, four acres sterling ontario okay where so this suggests that when when do you have produce at your farm gate year round <laughs> hi you're the reason why we're doing this, by the way. Next generation. <laughs> Love the kid bomb. So and uh, so they're in Sterling. And so do you have products at your farm gate year round? Yeah, yeah. We just we don't have a store set up. So if if you call ahead or email, then we can uh, we can have an order ready for you and you can come pick it up. All right. So that's this email and or give you guys a call. Literally, and place an order and go have a conversation and, and, you know, you guys can be this sort of stimulus for the next generation of superheroes coming together to have uh, boutique organic farms across Canada. And certainly if, because of the shipping container, I love it in coastal areas where there where shipping containers are prolific, you know, and, and we have a cross Canada train line that we could drop off these. Yes. So easy. We needed to. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Brad, Kristen, I want to thank you for sharing your story and we'll direct people to your story is also on your website and we wish you and your family all the best. And I'm just going to take this little juicy morsel of your story and amplify it as much as possible. And and let's, uh, let's get that new economic model for food movement. Uh, amplified. Sounds good. Thank you. Thanks for your help. So is there anything else that we haven't yet talked about that you, that's an important part of this conversation? So I don't think we broached the subject about our food transparency, that there is no transparency in our food production. And that's one of the biggest problems. Um, When we tried to research and track back, where our food was being produced, we were told by head office at Loblaws that they have non-disclosure agreements with their farmers and they were unable to tell us exactly where that food was coming from. Wow. Why? Why do you have a non-disclosure agreement? Who are you protecting? Are you protecting me or are you protecting them? So I, we were left in the dark to find out exactly where those grains were coming from. Well, that's interesting. I expected that. So, um, maybe I'll give Loblaws a call on this journey and see if if they can answer that question. You know, why why is there an NDA in comparison to you know in a in our co working space? We had a a fellow that was it was it was uh, firm to table. We brainstormed this idea, and there's these microchips that you can get that you put on a product and let's just say it's your leaf of grains or your or your tote and it tracks the whole journey 
from literally farm to table. And at any point, you know, when it's just a QR code that you can scan the whole thing and it sees what vehicle it was transported on, you know, so you can see the whole life of the product. And I think the chips, um, just to give you an idea, were something like six cents per unit to produce. And suddenly it would, that tiny little bit of technology, you know, could pretty much eliminate the lack of transparency on where your food comes from. It, it definitely could. It would be priceless because it is so hard to track back where that it came from to begin with, because mm-hmm. there's so many large farms coming together in these, uh, these warehouses for packing, and then it's being distributed from there. So there's so many points at which you have to stop and re-examine, okay, who's coming into this point? And then it's like a spider web effect. So with us, it's essentially a direct line, right? Yes. And it would be nice to see that with other farmers, their direct line. And why shouldn't that be something we'd be proud of? I'm proud of our direct line to us. Absolutely. With other farmers. Why, why are they proud? Eliminating the, the I, I mean, I, we can't even get into a conversation about food waste. I mean, the, the amount, crazy amount of food waste in the system. Um, that I've done a little bit of research on. 40% it. is it? Is 40, Sorry, 40, Brad? Is it 40 or 50% of food I've heard in North America? Right? It's crazy. Garbage? Yeah. Goes in the garbage. And yeah. I just think it's it's going back to abundance. We we have the potential to have food abundance. Yeah. If our economic models or distribution models are, are shifted. And yeah. my gut instinct is that the shift to hyper-local and being able to track, right, from, from farm to table, it's not just something that we gave lip service to in, you know, as a, as a brand identity of, for foodies in the 80s. It's actually now becoming a critical and essential, you know, shift that needs to be made with supply chain disruption and, and longevity and, and personal health uh, as, a, as a priority. Yeah. Yeah. It's been fabulous having you guys. Kristen, thanks for bringing up that last point. Once again, you can contact Brad and Kristen at Four Acres Hydroponics. Uh, email. I would also encourage you to show up at their farm gate and get some or pre-order some organic uh, produce if you're in the Sterling, Ontario region. And if you are in the food industry, and or you are a boutique farmer and you are as passionate about Brad and Kristen um, to, you know, look at organic food production in your local area. We encourage you to reach out to us and contact us. And once we have, you know, let's say 100 people that are interested and so that, that have said yes, we will absolutely follow up with some initiatives to bring people together and collaborate on what is really the next step to, to make some, some scalable change happen. Brad, Kristen, thanks again for being on the podcast. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Although. Um, now, are you actually officially organic? No. We're not organic because we can't be certified organic because we're hydroponic. There's uh, in Canada, um, you have to be growing in soil in order to pass whatever uh, inspections they do to get that certified 
organic label. So since we're growing in water and we have no soil in the farm, they can't give us that certification. It, it sounds like a um, perhaps a criteria that is old school. Right? Well, I think it's, yeah, it's by design because, uh, because this threatens that industry or um, hydroponics has the ability to take over a good part or all of that and eliminate the need for the massive soil farms that are, so they've designed it so that, that we can't get in it just to slow the progress of this technology, I think. Well, and so maybe for the purposes of of our audience is, you know, the official label of organic, I am very aware of, um, because of, of some local farmers sharing with me, is very time consuming, resource intensive, and, and clearly, technically, there's some criteria like growing in soil that makes it very difficult at times for somebody to actually, that's another potential barrier uh, that if organic is really the the label that people are looking for, um, you know, at the consumer, that got to be other options and and um, to grow the industry of organic farming and and still be desired by the by the consumer. Transparency. Yeah, transparency, more awareness Come. with what hydroponics is. Because there is a lack of knowledge, a general lack of knowledge of what hydroponic growing is. And we have been turned down by retail places because they only sell organic and we have no label. Ah. However, ours, I would consider better than organic. We don't use anything where organic nice. farmers have a list of uh, certified products they can use and still maintain that label. Also, you talk about food waste or the shipping, right? Food uh, seed to plate. How long is that, right? That it is, our, our food is still alive when it hits your plate. And Kristen, you said something that actually surprised me, which is the shelf life is incredible. Yes, the shelf life of our products. I just had some for a salad last night. It was harvested March 16th. So yesterday was March or April 5th, and it was still crunchy. You would not know as wow. did yesterday. It amazes me. I'm still blown away at how long this product lasts. Wow. That's fantastic. And so really we need to wave another magic wand, which is we need another sort of, you know, knowledge center and maybe food labeling around hydroponic food and the, the fact that this is maybe the evolution of uh, food on scale that's healthy and, uh, you know, from firm to table, we, we can grow that, uh, that movement of consumers. Yeah. 